Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin. And if we haven't lost our dear friend Nate after our review on Saturday of his band's album from 20 years ago, then hopefully he's listening to this because today we are talking about Mean Business by the Firm. And here joining me once again is my buddy, Rich Shaler. Rich, how's it going for the last, what, five minutes since we stopped the other show? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of things have changed, but, you know, we'll, 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 we'll touch on all that. Yeah, I took I took some time to travel, <laughs> experience some different restaurants and foods I'd never eaten. Uh, good to have you back. We're doing this one. Uh, you you preempted this episode uh, after listening to my review of the firm's album, The Firm, uh, which I really love. That's a staple in my collection. I have a lovely copy on vinyl. What is it about this album that you said you've got to listen to this? Um, well, because I also like the first album, but I probably go back to this one more or more tracks on this one than I do the first album. Hmm. Um, I just, I don't know why I just had more of an affinity for it. I listened to it a lot more and there are a couple songs on it that are like in still on playlists of mine today, two or three of them that I are always coming up that I don't get tired of hearing. Um, and then others that I also liked, but you know, over time of less and less, you know, um, there's, there was, you know, some of it was the age and just taste changing, you know, because you know, little they can be overwrought at times, you know. And in my younger days, I enjoyed that, you know, over the top kind of stuff. And now it's like that's eh, a little over the top. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, we're going back to 1986 for this one. So I have to say, uh, there's a lot of nostalgia for me with the first album, and and I have to keep that in mind to keep the right perspective because. I was excited when this album came out and I listened to it and I didn't really care for it. And then I just dismissed it. So I didn't listen to it more than probably twice back in, in 86. Uh, and then I just never went back to it because every time I thought about, yeah, I really like the first album. Maybe I should listen to the second one again. And I just never did. Uh, as, as I've said many times on the show, I don't follow things, uh, bands and things very well unless they just really grip me. And as much as I love the first album, second one, I was like, meh, just kind of wrote it off after that. So I was really excited to get back and, and listen to it. And um, again, just keeping this perspective of there are two different albums. You have very emotional ties to the first album. You don't to this one. So don't judge it based on the first one. And I tried to do that. So we're going to see if I did a good job of that, uh, of that or not. But before we get into this real quick, um, Rich, you brought up a good point. You were listening to an episode that I did on Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare this year. And you uh, you kind of challenged me on a couple of songs at the end. Uh, fill us in real quick on why you think I'm wrong. Oh, well, first of all, Escape is probably my favorite, if not one of my favorite Alice Cooper songs ever. And you said it didn't really belong on the album. And I disagree because I, if you do look at it as a concept album, which I haven't really always done, I just a collection of songs. But of the songs that I think do work together are all of the uh, the Awakening to Stephen. Um, and then it's sort of him coming, either coming out of the dream or waking up in the asylum, whichever the way you look at it after, you know, did I murder the person? Was that just a dream? Um, and then uh, Sun Arise is him kind of coming out of it. And then once he's awake, he escapes. It's time for the escape. Now, is he escaping the nightmare or is he escaping the asylum? Is he escaping the police because he got arrested for the murder? But to me, that's the kind of the not happy ending, but the. Yeah, happy ending, basically. Like, 
um, and his explanation of how he has to go out and put on a happy face every day and, you know, his cruel or his happy face. Right. Um, I think that song wraps the album up nicely. Putting it in that perspective, I, I absolutely see where you were coming from. I think for me, it was that the last two songs on the album were kind of happy for an album that was really about the nightmares and about the darkness and what I would more expect of a concept album like that. But I don't disagree with you now that you've put it in those terms. Uh, even though I didn't feel that Escape fit on the album, I think it's a great song. You know, I I, I really well, what if they the what if they had so what if they had renamed the song "The Nightmare Is Over." See, that's what that's where I, the way yeah. I look at it is it's welcome to my nightmare. But now the nightmare is over. It's the last song on the album. Right. Yeah. The nightmare is over. So it should be a happy song. It shouldn't be a doom and gloom song because the nightmare is now over. Right. Yeah. I think that's the thing is I kind of disconnected from the concept of it and then just started looking at it as a collection. But if you look at it as a, a story from beginning to end, you're right. It absolutely is. You could also make the argument that he's just escaping in his own mind. He's still yeah. in the institution and just in Absolutely. his head, he's living outside his happiest life. Yep. Which exactly. is kind of how I wanted to end. Yeah, which I think very well could be it. Now, you know, yeah. I'm sure if you asked Alice, that's probably more along the lines of where it went. Very possible. I, I need to revisit Welcome to Nightmare 2 also because I only heard that once. And again, it was kind of the same thing. I think my expectation for it was really high. And I think it didn't it just didn't hit me right away and then i dismissed it so i'm gonna have to revisit that at some point yeah i'll probably go back and listen to it maybe on my car ride today to go pick up my kid but um i it's not great (laughs) it's it's not welcome to my nightmare yeah follow-ups usually aren't no it's very hard to recreate magic like that um it is what it is and it's you know it's of its time like we talked about you know it's there's so many factors that go into it. And then your own personal taste and your own time. And, yeah. and actually, I'll get us right back into mean business. That's a perfect example because it just hit at the right time in my life. I was, you know, in high school, I think 10 from six, Bad Company, Greatest Hits had come out. Um, and I was really into that. Like, I started to get heavily into to Bad Company, mainly because I love Paul Rogers so much. I loved his voice. I felt like I could sing like him. Like, if there was a singer i could uh, mimic it would be him because kind of a bluesy feel to it and then that led me you know oh he's in this new band the firm or whatever and of course radioactive was all over the radio oh yeah um you know so i heard that and i didn't love it i didn't love that album i liked it i mean i liked radioactive and i remember liking that side of the album i don't even know if that was the first side second side first side. i had a tape yeah. yeah, and so I liked Radioactive. I liked the version of You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked uh, Bird on a Wing, whatever that one is. Uh, Midnight Moonlight. Midnight yeah. Moonlight Lady, mm-hmm. yeah. So I like, and I liked that one. But eh, some of the other stuff, eh, now I've gone back and I, I like pretty much the whole album. Like, it, I, I can appreciate it more, but I was not a Led Zeppelin fan. I didn't dislike them. I just didn't, I wasn't really into them. So the fact that Jimmy Page was there, didn't really mean much to me. Whereas most of my friends were excited because it was Jimmy Page and, right. you know, and, and Paul Rogers and oh my God, it's a super group to me. It was just another band and either I like them or I don't like them. And so I kind of got into it. And then we all went to go see them on tour after that first album. Oh, okay. We all, you know, and so I got to see the show and they were really good. And I yeah. actually, I didn't really like Page. I felt he's very sloppy live, mm-hmm. which I was, have always felt about him. Um, but as I've gotten older now, I realize some of that is sloppiness and some of it's just that swaggery feel that he puts into the music. Um, mm-hmm. And so business came out. I was, of course, waiting on it. And right. I I liked it. I, I didn't 
love every song on it, but there's probably three or four, like I said, I still go back to this day that I think are, are some of their best work out of the two albums that they put out. <laughs> I uh, I think one of the big highlights in this band for me is the bass playing. You know, we we talked about Nate's bass playing on on Saturday's episode, but I I love the bass player in this band. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. It's got to be that he's playing fretless most of the time, if not all the time. It's all the time. I don't think he ever plays fret fret and yeah. bass anymore. I don't. Uh, still to this day, I don't think he does. I think he make he's the glue that that keeps these songs together for me. Um, I like Paul Rogers' voice. I think though he's very limited. In what he he does what he does very very well incredibly right. well but I don't think he has a lot of dynamic range that he could you know no, like he doesn't. I, I know Deep Purple was after him for a while Richie really wanted him and I never understood that vision see I did I think they would have been great together I it, he doesn't he's not a screamer he's not he doesn't have that you know but he has that solid bluesy you know you can do a fast song you do a slow song but you're right though it's he's got his lane. And yeah. he's always stayed in it. And that's the thing is sometimes it's really good, bad company, free. Um, I think the firm. And then there are other things he's done where, you know, like the law. I didn't I didn't love the album he did with Queen, but live, I kind of did like the stuff he did with Queen. I, I thought he had a whole different take on it. And I'm a fan of that because you can't replace Freddie Mercury. So no. just do something different. You know what I mean? So just do something different. You're never gonna you're always gonna be compared. So what's the mm-hmm. point? Yeah. Um, and I thought they did a good job of you know, Paul Rogers singing it a little bit differently, but still keeping the spirit of it. And that does show yeah. if you listen to that, it does show that he does have the ability to do different things. But he was they were very limited in what they could do set list wise from the Freddie days, because he just like I can't imagine him singing Highway Star, for example, or, right. you know, Burn or something that really takes a powerful vocal because his voice yeah. has a mellow tone to it naturally, which is fine. Um, but that's that's where I lose the vision. Like I could see right. him writing some good stuff going forward, but to do some of the older songs that have a harder edge, Speed King, I can't hear him singing Speed right. King. I mean, I guess I'd have to hear it. I I I think he has the ability to do it. He that's not his comfort zone for writing. Yeah. But I think if singing somebody else's material, I don't. I think he has the ability, especially younger. He definitely had the ability. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't the lane that he picked and and it was yeah. good at and then um but he yeah this missing, album the grit sorry. he's missing the grit like i i don't hear grit right. in his voice to be a good hard rock singer yeah no it's definitely he's definitely got a smoother edge to it a bluesier yeah. edge to it um but yeah i've just i've always liked his voice and, and his delivery and his um his choices on where to go with melodies and things mm-hmm. and and i'm sure it's just because that's it's naturally where i i would sing it and you know, I can right. pick up his songs very easily because that's right what I would do or how I would sing it. Um, but this album I liked and Tony Franklin, I agree. I generally do not like fretless bass and I've listened to some other things he's done. Don't love it, mm. but it really is what gives this band the sound. And cause you've got Jimmy page doing a lot of the slide stuff too. Yeah. And it plays off each other and I, I it just works. And I really hadn't given Chris Slade much thought until I, I kind of went back and listened a little bit to some of the songs. And but man, he really he's he's a little bit in that cozy Powell school. A lot of power, yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. like just not big run fills, but just those like boom, 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 like accent kind of fills, right? Um, that I think work really well in this band, or even Bonham, like to to mm-hmm. a degree. You know, not as fancy, obviously, as Bonham, but yeah. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't know that 
there had been a band XYZ. Did you come across that at all during your research? No. So uh, Satisfaction guaranteed the first research. song. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So XYZ apparently was a band in the 1980 or 81, right after Bonham died. And it was X as in X members of Y, Yes, and Z Zeppelin. Oh, so it was Chris okay. Squire. It was Chris, Chris Squire and uh, Alan White from Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be Jimmy Page and then maybe um, Plant uh, is in the band as well. But they hadn't they hadn't locked down Plant. I guess he only did. But they they actually pretty well fleshed out Satisfaction Guaranteed. Like oh, there's okay. a version out there on YouTube and it's pretty much the song. Like if you listen, mm-hmm. it's pretty much there just with way busier bass parts because it's Chris Squire. Right. Um, yeah. You know, but not honestly, not bad. Kind of liked it. And they, I guess that band was Cinema. Then it, it morphed into Cinema when Paige left. Okay. And then they brought in Trevor Rabin, which then got them to go back to being Yes right. um, with Trevor Rabin. So, mm-hmm. which uh, um, it, a lot of people might know Trevor from his film compositions. He's uh, quite a talented film composer too. So I didn't even have I to did research not know that. that. Yeah, that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but yeah, so it was interesting. Unless how I'm thinking of someone else, which is very possible. No, probably not. I think that that would make <laughs> sense. And he, so the fact, like I said, most of my friends were excited that Paige was finally back. Jimmy Page, finally yeah. the the next Zeppelin thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it really didn't have any of that. And then you went and saw them live and they didn't really do any Zeppelin. They didn't do any bad company. You know, they did some covers and they did their stuff. And I think that disappointed a lot of people. Yeah. And then I think they broke up almost immediately after this album was released, which doesn't send a real strong message no. to people. Like, yeah, it's so bad we broke up. Or like right. we don't like this at all, so we broke up. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that had anything to do with it, if you you know, I've seen interviews with Paul Rogers where he says it was never meant to be permanent. You uh, know, Jimmy, Jimmy Page and I knew that going in, this was gonna be a one off thing or a couple off thing, like it wasn't meant to be forever. Oh, okay. um, but I find that well, it's, it's easy a to little say disingenuous. Yeah. yeah, I find yeah. that to be disingenuous because if they had a huge hit, they wouldn't have been like, yeah, no, this is just a temporary thing. Right. They I don't know if they had any hits off of this album, but if they um, did, it must I, not have been so a big I, one. I feel like they did because I it was on MTV constantly. Um, but I don't know that it was a big radio hit was all the King's Horses. That was on MTV every five seconds. And I just remember, I don't, I haven't seen the video probably since the eighties, but I just remember there being ninjas and samurai, a lot of ninjas yeah, and samurai sounds, in it. It, it did so, have like that gray polish to it that they were putting yeah, it had that, back then. Yeah. And that, and that sepia tone, everything was like yeah. very am, amber and dark blacks. And yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to that song, but that was the one I did remember. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this was the single because I do remember this song, but let's jump into the music. Our first right. song out of eight is called fortune hunter. Got to share it. Yeah. <laughs> you and your, you're in your demands. So I don't Luckily, I know show. it so well, you don't technically have to share it, but. There we go. All right. Let's hear. Let's let the audience hear it though. <laughs>
got a lot of energy to it. I love it. It's one of the ones I still listen to to this day. They're coming out of the gate hot, and I like that. Um, yep. I I did say in my notes that this is is a great start. Um, vocals feel like they're in another room, though. He he really feels kind of disconnected from, yeah. from it for me, and it might be part of that delay they have on it too. Yeah, I can see that, but to me, it almost just has a little bit of a live feel to me. Um, yeah, um, and I think I think he's very close mic'd, even though it seems like it's further away. I think mm-hmm. the miking is very close, just where they mixed it. Yeah, um, and he, but uh, to go back to what you're saying about him singing purple, I think this is a good example of. Yeah, he could do that. I mean, listen, that's a high register he's singing in right there. And he's really pushing it. And he gets a little bit of the grip, but he keeps it clean, which means he can go higher. You know what I mean? And still do it. Um, But it's even when he just said, though, I mean, when he just said, that finger burn, Mm -hmm. you could easily sing burn because that's the same, pretty much the same note. So, oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder longevity wise, like, could he do a whole show? Like, because I've never seen him live. So I don't know. Yeah, you know, I think so. He's like he's one of those guys. He hasn't lost anything off his voice. If anything, it's more powerful. Oh, good. Um, he's got a new album out. Actually, I just kind of saw that when I was going back to this, mm-hmm. and I just you know zipped through it like in thirty seconds. You know, five seconds of each song, and I, I'm definitely gonna go back and listen to it. It sounds like it's got some good stuff on it. Nice. Uh, the other thing I, I thought was that, uh, of course, the bass is killer. I absolutely love the oh, bass yeah. on this song. But I, also, one of the guitar tracks seems like it's with the vocal in another room. It's, it seems like they really did some bizarre separation. But when I went started thinking back about their first album, it had a little bit of that, too. It sounded, it was a very unique production. Yeah, I think it's, all the King's Horses, when we get to it, you'll see it's, a, I think it's a different production. But I agree. Like this, I think this is the firm production. I think it's a very Jimmy Page way of doing things. Mm-hmm. The you know the multiple guitars doing multiple different things and having that heavy echo, the background yeah. and um, having like that wide open sound. Because the same thing, I think that's part of what I didn't like about the first album. I didn't really like the production. It was so foreign to me. But I've, over the years, I've grown to kind of love it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're I think you're right on the on the mark as far as that production on the vocals on this song. But all that said, it's just such a great song and it drives. And I love what he's doing on that ride symbol that, yeah. you know, I mean, it just adds to the song. And then the weird thing is it takes that complete and utter left hand turn mm-hmm. near the end of the song. And it goes into that really mellow part. Right. Um, which I remember being younger and not liking. But now I really like that part of the song. And then it just um, ends. It just right. ends. Like, and that, I love that too. I love like very when abrupt. Just, yeah. Yep. I like when something just goes off or ends on a chord that you don't think it should end on. It leaves you like a little, like you're waiting for it to, to mm-hmm. you know, resolve and it doesn't. And it leaves yeah. you a little on edge. But I, I will say that part that you're talking about that you didn't like before that you do now, I think as our musical tastes have changed and we've grown both as fans of music and as musicians ourselves we're critical of different things than we used to be. Our tastes have opened up and we understand the production or the progression better. And we can enjoy parts that we didn't necessarily before because we get it now. Exactly. And I, again, not being a Zeppelin fan, I didn't realize how Zeppelin-y a thing that is, is to like have, you know, this one part of a song and then something completely different with it, you know, Mm -hmm. in juxtaposition to it. And I, I didn't, I didn't really know how, what a Zeppelin thing that was, but when I listen to it now, I can hear the Zeppelin and the Jimmy influence far more than I could before. Um, 
All right. It's good. All right. Well, let's move on to song two. This is called Cadillac. I love that bass opening. The the bass is just killer on the, who plays like that. Right. Yeah, no, that's uh, the highlight of the song for me. And it kind of all goes downhill after that. It's way too long. It's like six or seven minutes long. I think it might even yeah. be eight. And it's that pretty much that through the whole freaking song, which it's a cool, it's got kind of a cool drone to it and a kind of a groove to it. Three minutes or maybe two and a half minutes, yeah. but like it doesn't really go anywhere after that. Um, but yes, I love that. That little bass riff at the beginning is what makes it and even all the, the guitar stuff going on behind it. It's such a cool effect. But uh, this is one I skip every single time or it did. I did. Now I don't even have to because it doesn't go on the playlist. Believe it or not. It's five minutes and 56 seconds. It feels like a seven and a half minute song. It does. Easily. Uh, I think that the idea for it was cool, but it's just like, you got to know when to stop. Right. You know, I mean, maybe, maybe live, if, you, if the crowd's into it, you could extend it into something like this, but honestly, it doesn't have the drive to withstand that kind of. Or if Jimmy Page really did like a cool solo over the top of it or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it just, but it just doesn't happen. I don't it know. It goes nowhere. Yeah. Um, yep. there are a lot of, lots of delay on the vocals, uh, which I don't necessarily know I'm a fan of for this one. I think uh, hearing a little bit more in the front of the mix would have been better. But this feels like the, they said, we need a song like Make Up or Break Up. Let's write one. And they wrote this. Yeah, just didn't do it for me. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, I, I this is a hit or miss album for me, to be honest. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, no, I agree. I, there's some really good stuff and there's some... Yeah. Eh. Which I think is part of the thing. Like, I probably like it better now than I did before. But every song on the first album, I absolutely love. I, I took me a while to warm up to Midnight, Midnight Moonlight. That was the one that was holding me back. Um, but I appreciate that song a lot more now. But this one, it's it's interesting. I, I think my hopes were just that I'm going to love everything on this album. When I didn't, I'm like, eh, all right, fine. In it fairness, Midnight go. Moonlight Lady might have been a makeout song for me in high school, so that could be why I liked it. <laughs> one of the few was, mellow, one of the few mellow songs I had. Hopefully, there was someone with you at the time. Uh, <laughs> our next one is called the hit. It's all the King's Horses. In the 
Boy, does that just scream 80s since. Yeah, unfortunately. But on the other hand, I love that little bass riff there. Yeah. And the way, the way the drums come in is so powerful. I don't know why. I know it's kind of cheesy, but it works. That bow down, bow. Um, but you can tell this is a Paul Rogers song. Yeah. Like a Paul I, Rogers written song. And the first mm-hmm. two were more Jimmy Page. Like you can mm-hmm. just tell by listening to them. Yeah, this one, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of stabby synths. I just don't like that sound. I really don't like synth brass that much. But for some reason, this, it kind of works. Um, it, they could have dialed it back just a little bit because I think it's too dominant. Right. But it, or blended it with something that took away some of that stabbiness. But yeah, I think but it you works know what? well. Think about two years earlier with Jump. You know what I mean? It yeah. was the, that same kind of, da, 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 you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And very so, staccato, too, on right, top of that. Exactly. Yeah, at least so. this is a long chord. Yeah. Um, for this one, my notes were obviously a very 80s uh, key intro. <laughs> I always thought that this song was kind of boring, to be honest. It is. It, it ends up being boring. I just like his voice on it, and I love that, like I said, that bow down, like the accents mm. are just work for me. But yeah, yeah it it's not. it doesn't really go anywhere, and that's probably why it wasn't that big a hit. Because right. um, even there's no real change between the verse, you know, little, I mean, it, it picks up pace, but then it's just all the king's soul in that same yeah. reign in all the king's men. Yeah, it's it's like the, they just changed the style a little bit, but it doesn't feel like a chorus. It doesn't feel right. separated or something different and interesting. It, um, it just needed I think it needed a bridge if they just yeah. put a bridge in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think they would have been good. I, I feel like on this one, and I hate to compare these songs to the firm, but I feel like they said, okay, money can't buy. What do you got? And, right. and said, okay, we need a song like that. You know, uh, again, another brilliant bass playing uh, on that song. But yeah, so I would say, you know, this is probably one that I would not really care to listen to a whole lot. I might revisit it again someday. So I probably listened to it one of the most when it first came out. Like mm. that was the one, I mean, it was on the radio, it was yeah. on MTV. You know, probably the girl I was dating at the time was the only song she recognized. So I've I've listened to that one a lot, but I don't go back to it very often now. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it didn't hold up over the time. Yeah, understandable. Well, hitting the halfway point of the album, which I guess would be probably the end of the first side, we've got Live in Peace. Just as the sun was rising Came without a warning The sound of the uprising For me, it, it's, it's pretty, I guess, but it's also pretty repetitive and, to me, kind of unimaginative. I, I think they this was a good basic idea, but I don't think they fleshed out what this song could really do. Well, they did, because... Um, this is actually a Paul Rogers song from his first solo album. Oh, okay. So they recycled it. Um, hold on one second. <laughs> Sorry, my phone's going off. I didn't That's want to right. the on. Because I can't hear it. Um, so anyway, sorry. Right. Um, they recycled it from an album called Cut Loose, which was Paul Rogers' first solo album. So I already knew this song. Mm-hmm. Um, when it came out and they actually did, this is one of the ones they did live on the first tour. 
Um, and I really liked it live, like really liked it live because it had a lot of power, a lot of dramatic, you know, I mean, which it does in this version too. Yeah. On the Paul Rogers version, it's actually a steady drum beat through the whole song. Really? It's, as soon as it comes in, it's da, 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 almost. And, and Chris Slade takes it and he almost plays it in halftime or he, he changes the feel completely mm-hmm. by the way he plays it. And I like it. And as a teenager, I loved it because it was over the top bombastic, you know, mm-hmm. you know, live in peace, man. Why can't we all just get it on? And, <laughs> right. you know, but all the drum, all when all the drums come in, it's all very bombastic that bomb, 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 bomb. Yeah. Um, and the guitars. And I think Jimmy Page is a really nice solo on this one, if I recall. He does. Um, yeah. So I, this is actually one I go back to from time to time still, but it was definitely one of the highlights when I first heard the album. He does. Jimmy does have a nice uh, solo in here. He plays very well on the song. Also, I love what the piano does behind his solo. It's, it's very interesting and uh, really complements the solo almost dominates it a little bit in the mix, but uh, not quite. Uh, You still get enough of Jimmy to, to get the gist of what he's doing, but uh, yeah, not a favorite for me. Um, I don't hate it, but I just kind of feel like it, it, it needed something more for me. Right. I, I can see that. I mean, yeah, I just, I like the simplicity in a way. It almost reminds me of like a John Lennon, uh, like love is real, the way it kind of fades in. And it's just a very simple repeating piano line. Um, yeah. Anyway, well, I, I know that you're short on time, so let's move on down to tear down the walls. So is this a cover of a Clash song? Because that intro definitely feels like the Clash to me. <laughs> no, I, I'm pretty sure it's an original tune. <laughs> um, I really like this one. This is one again, one that's still on my playlist now. Mm-hmm. The the opening riff makes me so uneasy because it feels like it's out of time or there's just something with it. And then when that bass comes in, it's sort of it's still kind of like, oh, what's going on there? And then it takes until that first drum snap where you're like, oh, all right, I get I now I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just Paul Rogers sits so well in the groove of this song, like, and which is that's what Paul Rogers does the best. It's just mm-hmm. those very like sitting right in the groove of the song. Um, and then when it gets to the to the um, the bridge in the chorus, just it you know it changes direction a little bit and just adds so much power. Yeah, I I think uh, you know I I don't mind a uh, a misleading intro from time to time. I I, I think they're really actually kind of fascinating. Um, but for this one, um, the bass definitely feels like the riff from Midnight Moonlight when the the song kicks in a little bit more. Um, there's a few changes throughout the song, which I thought were good, but overall, this was kind of a boring one for me. Um, mm. I do like the thing that they, they try to do, actually, this is common for the band, is they throw in an extra beat here and there and yeah. try and like throw off the 4-4 thing, which is nice. Um, I like when they do that. Uh, but it was there was, I think, one in here where I'm like, yeah, oh, that was kind of awkward. Uh, but overall, I mean, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. And then they do that thing where they have like just the bass and drums. And then, you know, they, that's such a Van Halen thing to do. Right. Um, 
I, I didn't realize until recently how much Van Halen actually does that. And so, I mean, at the time, it was probably fine to listen to it now. Uh, it doesn't really please me. So this this one wasn't really a, a favorite for me. But uh, a, I did like the ending, though. I thought the ending was really cool. But then it just fades out. I'm like, I finally right. like where the song is going. And then it's, no, it's over. It's a trope because it works, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> they do it because it works. Well, no. there you go. Um, that's fair. You know, and maybe that's I. I mean, I am a sucker for some of the some of those rock tropes over the years where everything mm-hmm. drops out. And it's just the drums, da, 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 you know, and things like that. But I, I, I just I don't know what it is about the song. I just I guess I really just it, it just gets me. I, I think it's that odd time, you know, timing on it. And like mm-hmm. you said, that they throw in those extra beats and it kind of keeps you a little off kilter and. I think I like to feel a little uncomfortable sometimes on music like that, like not to be just kind of going on and being bored by it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I love the way his voice is on this one. He just, he sings it perfectly. Like I, I, I do think this is one of his best vocal performances on the album. And I also think this Same. is one on this album that could have easily been on the first album. You wouldn't have even noticed. I would, I would agree with that. Um, and again, we're talking 1986. We're talking what 37 right. years ago. So where I can say listening to it now, I find this trope to be kind of ridiculous. 37 years ago, it wasn't right. You know, and so you have to always keep that in mind. Okay, I like the inverted beat. I like the way that they keep changing that up. But honestly, this is six minutes for absolutely no reason. This song just goes on and on and on and is not at all interesting to me. So obviously, I did not listen to this that much when I was younger. And when I revisited this, I tried to listen with a little more critical ear. What I will say about the songs, and if you ever do sit back down and listen to it, listen to it with these ears, is... It's very reminiscent of uh, Robert Plant's big log to me. Mm. I'm in the mood for a melody. I'm in the mood. Yes. Um, It kind of has that feel of it to me. And I think if they had edited it down, they're probably prolonging because they wanted to fill the album. They didn't have enough songs. Because obviously if they're using old Paul Rogers songs and old Jimmy Page songs, they probably didn't have a lot of new material. Um, So they probably pulled this one, you know, extended it. But if they had narrowed it down to a, a tight three minutes, um, I think this could have been a hit for other stuff that was on the radio at the time. It has mm-hmm. that sound. It has a bit of that ballady. Also like, uh, got a crowded house kind of sound to it, even oh, at parts. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but again, that's I, my problem with it. Maybe that's my problem with the whole album is that this isn't fresh writing. This isn't the band doing what they did on the right. first album, which is getting together and writing songs. This is okay. Uh, we need material. I've got this one. Yeah, I've got this yeah. one. And I think this was a Tony Franklin song. Um, but um, yeah, not 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 the best track on the album. Agreed. Yeah, the, the vocals are nice. The guitar is nice. I like the gentle flange on it. Um, I like the inverted beat. But yeah, it just goes on and on and on for just no reason to me um 
that brings us back to reality because I don't know what song order is this <laughs> today, apparently. And we're going to talk about free to live. Yeah, for me, I really like the change in this one. I, I really didn't expect the song that we got. I thought it was going in a completely different direction. But my note says the opening is closer. It's it's just closer again in a different way. And I really mm. don't like how thin his guitar sounds in the beginning until that second guitar comes in. I don't I don't get the strategy behind that. Yeah, I mean, this one is kind of unremarkable to me. Again, wasn't one I really listened to a lot when I was younger, but. It, this one actually has grown on me a little bit. Um, and I probably will be giving it more listens. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember if this is the one or if or not. The second part of the song or that where, where it changes, I got a very like, and I hate to say it because I just said it two seconds ago, but Crowded House, almost that, hey now, mm -hmm. hey now, yeah, um, kind of feel to it. Um, mm -hmm. But I could be wrong. I could be thinking of the wrong song since you messed me all up by going out of order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's I, I don't want you to feel comfortable when you come on the show by any. No, that's good. Well, it worked. <laughs> it did. Uh, I will say I, I like that abrupt change. The guitar solo comes in way too loud for some reason. I, I don't I don't understand the balance that they were trying to get on that. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought that that overall the song is just kind of really boring and unfeeling for me. The riff is repetitive and not very exciting to begin with. So I for me this was definitely a miss. Mm. all right but let's see if we can wrap this up on a on a good note with the last track this is called spirit of love think of this one rich mm, i was gonna say what say you okay what do you think uh first of all that piano is really bright it's it's needs to some eq i think uh it's kind of cutting through my ears in a way that i don't particularly find pleasant uh i think the song was a good song on its own but it feels more like the finale of a production than a song that really works with the other songs on the album um, if this were like the end of a Cirque du Soleil show where they're getting ready to come out and do their final bow and the band is playing this over the top, I think it would work brilliantly. Not really sure how it works with the album, though. Hmm. All right. That's a pretty good point. But you're not going to ruin it for me. I love okay. this song. <laughs> I love this song. Uh, it's still in heavy rotation for me. Um, I know it's a little, you know cheesy message wise like it's pretty obvious message wise the spirit yeah. of love and but i i do love that line when you're down on your knees and the whole world's counting 
you know, please your enemies to count you out. Um, I think it's just a great line um, that stays true through your whole life. Um, but I love it. And I just love it. And that chorus comes in. It's almost emotional. It's, you know what I mean? Like, but you're right. It is very, but I like musical theater. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, well, and, and I do too. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Cirque du Soleil right. music, but it just, I don't know. It just feels like it's out of place on the album. It's almost like they did this for a film soundtrack and said, right. we might as well throw this on the album. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I mean, if you're looking at it as, as a whole, which I don't generally do with albums. I yeah. just, I, I like songs or I don't like songs, especially now in the Spotify age, mm-hmm. like either I like a song or I don't like a song. It's, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter if it fits with the song before or after it, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the things I actually enjoy on the deep purple podcast is how they talk about, well, that would be a good side closer or that work, you know, here. Cause right. I, there's no thought given to that anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, not an art that has to be, you know, thought about. Well, how many um, people even listen to an album straight through nobody, these days? Nobody. You just, not even you, me. You pick your yeah. picks, you know? Yeah. Um, I will say I love the energy of this song. And I mm-hmm. thought the choir, the addition of the choir was fantastic. Um, it just it just feels like it didn't, it feels like it was done for a different production and put on the album. And normally, like with albums, and you think about, you know, albums that we've grown up listening to, you could tell those songs were written together. You can tell that they right. they're part of a, point in time for the band and i guess this feels like this is a different point in time for the band being put in with with what else they were doing on the album um overall i i think they really tried hard to reproduce the first album instead of just coming in and making an album and now knowing that some of these songs were recycled from other projects that makes a lot more sense um because i don't i don't feel they hit the magic they did with the first one it feels like they were like hey i think they know they make an album yeah right and I think they know they didn't either. And that's why they didn't continue on. Like, yeah. you know, yeah, we had a good spark between us, um, you know, and then moved on. But I, I yeah, I, I still love the album. And, and just going back to that last song for one second, I love when he kicks in the the, the drums to the double, the double time mm-hmm. to really pick it up um, yeah. and on the upbeat instead of the, the downbeat. I mm-hmm. it just, it, you know, I mean, I know that's the feel of the music, but, um, and then the chorus comes in and Paul Rogers really, jumps on a full octave and when he's singing spirit of love and he goes all the way up to that full octave and hits the spirit of love lines it, right. it really it just works um but yeah, yeah as an album you know i don't like i said i don't generally look at things that way but obviously sitting here talking with you i am and i think all your points are dead on that it there were parts of it that were probably like oh we got a song we need a song like this one or that one or um, even if it was subconscious or maybe yeah. as the producer, like, Hey, how about something mid tempo y with a riff and this, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we're short on songs. What else you got? Well, we could redo this one. Well, we did this one in the live show and everybody liked it. Yeah. Let's right. do that one. Yeah. yeah um, cause exactly. we want to still, cause we still want to do it live. And then, you know, mm-hmm. and why, and then, and who knows, Paige may not even brought that song in the way he did. He might've just been playing the riff and somebody went like, Oh, I, Hey, that's cool. What's that? You know? Yeah. And, yeah, so. it's so hard to say because we weren't we weren't there. And right. so many of those discussions come from producers or the record company says, no, we, you're going to do a cover of this one on this album. I mean, there's so many factors that are involved. People tend to judge the band or the musicians, but there's so much more than that. If you have a producer and the record company's paying for a producer, they make the decisions, period. 
you know, it's, right. it's a tough thing. But I will say I, I still love, absolutely love the first album. I think there's more songs I like on this one this time than I did before. So thank you for that, Rich, because you you were the one that preempted me to listen to this. Oh, good. You know, and, and I definitely like it more than I did. There's songs I'll definitely revisit. And I would say in, you know, who knows, six or seven years, I'll probably listen to the album again and see if my tastes have changed, what I like, you know, maybe that I didn't this go around. Yeah. Well, I've certainly, you know, enjoyed going back to it. And uh, again, it sent me down a couple uh, Spotify nails trails or, you know, <laughs> and and found so many different things because of it. And including the new Paul Rogers, which I can't wait to listen to. There you go. Well, thank you for joining me once again uh, for another review. It's always great to have you on the show. Can't wait till our Whatever we do next, because I, I know there's going to be more um, if we have have been banished from the Deep Purple podcast then we'll have more time to, to do stuff anyway. Well, if you, if you need if you need to do like a seven hour, eight hour thing to split up into episodes, we could always go into a Beatles or a solo Beatles thing. Oh, boy, that's yeah, that's a, <laughs> a rabbit hole for sure. But for now, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. If I don't have a show coming up Saturday, which I'm not sure yet if I do or, or not, uh, we'll be back on our usual Wednesday rotation. In the meantime, have a great day, guys. Cheers. Cheers.